I can feel the Spirit of the Lord in this place tonight. Can you feel Him? Can you feel His presence? I'm excited for what He has for us tonight as we bring to a close our Consumed series. And leading up to this moment, I had been asking the Lord for what would be an appropriate ending. So tonight's going to look a little bit different than what it has over the past few weeks. Because in all honesty, guys, my heart burns. And when I say it burns, I mean like it literally burns like in a way that Tums can't help, that Pepto-Bismol can't help. Like my heart burns to see you guys be consumed with Christ. And if you haven't received salvation, surrendering your life to Jesus, I want you to be consumed by him. If you're here tonight and you have received salvation, you have surrendered your life to Jesus, you have a relationship with Him, and I want to see you be consumed with Him. So across the board tonight, every heart, every soul, every individual that has found a seat in this place tonight, I want you to become consumed with who Jesus is and who He desires to be within your life. And so as I was seeking from the Lord what He would have me share with you tonight, I was expressing kind of those same sentiments to Him in prayer throughout the week. And I was like, God, I just want them to become consumed by, and I want them to become consumed with you. I want them to know your goodness. I want them to know your love. I want them to know your grace and your mercy and the depths of the forgiveness that you have for them. I want them to see the unimaginable ways you can use them if they would just allow themselves to become consumed by you. So what do you want me to share with them? How do we bring it to an end? How do we culminate all the things that we've talked about over the past few weeks Together And his response back to me was, how about what you just said to me? Why don't you just share your heart with them? Because that's my heart for them. And I'm telling you guys, like over the past few weeks, the past month really, God has been doing some things in my own personal life. And it's been a kind of a strange but good spiritual season for me. He's been doing some things in my heart that are new, that I've never experienced before, that I've never gone through before. And it's causing me to desire more and more so with each and every day that he has given me to become even more consumed with him than I already am. And it's amazing, and it's terrifying, and it's beautiful, and it's difficult, and it's fresh, and it's heavy. It's all those things at the same time for me. So I want to share a little of my heart with you tonight in the hopes that you see God's heart in this as well. And the thought that I came across that I figured would be fitting for our title tonight is this, Confessions of Consumption. So I want to share with you some confessions about consumption. Find some running around you and tell them these are my confessions. Some of you will get it later. <laughs> I reveal my age a little bit. Some people that are my age got it instantly. Some of you might have to Google it a little bit later. Tell them again, these are my confessions. I didn't find like there was much enthusiasm behind that. These are my confessions tonight. We've looked at a few people over the past few weeks who had their lives become completely consumed by and with Jesus. And there's nothing more that I would love to see than God's consuming fire break out among us. But there are some realities about consumption that we've talked indirectly about over the past few, few weeks that I want to more pointedly direct our attention to tonight. So the first reality being this, that consumption is costly. A couple of years ago, we had some friends of our family that lost their house to a fire. It was an electrical fire. It started in the garage. It jumped over to their house. 
and it, it burned their house to the ground. I mean, a total loss. Everything they had, everything they owned, completely gone by this fire. And we talked about how fire can be destructive. It can be costly. It can result in major loss. And the reality is, men and women, that being consumed by and with Jesus will be costly for you. But I need you to hear me out to the end on this. Scripture makes it very clear that if we allow Jesus to enter in and reshape and take over our lives, we are going to lose some things. And any pastor that would sit before you and tell you otherwise is doing you an injustice and is doing the message of the Word of God an injustice as well. Jesus made it very clear that it will be costly to surrender our lives to Him. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 25, He says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? In Mark chapter 10, Jesus encounters a man who we know by the title of the rich young ruler. And he has a conversation with Jesus. And listen to what happens in the course of this conversation. In verse 17 says, As he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, and do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. Aren't you glad Jesus looked at you in love? And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. In Luke chapter 14, verses 25 and 26, it says, Great crowds accompanied him, him being Jesus, and he turned to them and said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So listen to me. It is very clear and evident in Scripture that there is a cost to following Christ. Following Jesus, becoming consumed by and with Jesus, the reality is it may cost you personal ambitions. It may cost you personal desires. It may cost you personal goals. It may cost you personal dreams. It may cost you comforts. It may cost you preferences. It may even cost you some relationships. Listen, I promise you, I have had relationships in my life that I no longer have based off the reality that I follow Jesus with my life. That's the reality of things. It may cost you all of these things. Paul understood this reality so well when he surrendered his life to Jesus. Because listen to what he says, and we saw this a few weeks back in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7. He says, whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Now, I want you to see this. And I want you to pay attention to what he says right here because I I feel like it can kind of help you with counting the cost and realizing that Jesus doesn't 
expect this to be an easy thing. Paul, as he looked over the course of his life and saw all the things that he gave up in order to follow Christ, says this, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things. I suffered that loss. Listen, it's not easy to experience loss. It's not easy to count and endure the cost. Paul struggled with it at times. We get a glimpse into his life right here when he says, I I suffered the loss of all things. Paul had a long list of accomplishments. Paul had a long list of accolades. Paul had spent the better part of his life attaining and seeking after those things to achieve and to accomplish them. And when he met Christ, he counted them all as lost to follow them. And he said, that hurt a little bit. If I'm being honest, it hurt me to give up some of those things. It hurt me to realize that these things had to go in order that I could wholeheartedly pursue Christ. So it wasn't an easy thing for Paul. It's not going to be an easy thing for us either. And the reality is the difficulty, the cost that has to be counting when it comes to following Jesus is ultimately why so many people choose to reject Him. It's because when it comes to counting the cost, they don't consider Him worth the sacrifice. This rich young man, he he turned away from the love of Christ because he didn't see it as being worth it. It's not easy to have your fleshly nature consumed. It's not easy to have desires, to have goals, to have ambitions, to have dreams consumed and sacrificed for the sake of following Jesus. It's not easy to have your comforts removed. It's not easy to lose some relationships along the way. None of those things are easy. Yes, this is costly, 100%. But that's not the end of the story. Jesus tells us that if we'll count the cost, He'll grant the gain. In Mark chapter 10, if we go back to the story of the rich young ruler, after he has walked off, his disciples begin to have a conversation with Jesus. And look at what they say in verse 6 or verse 26. It says that they were exceedingly astonished. So the disciples were astonished at what they had just seen taking place. And they said to him, Then who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. Listen to me. It may seem hard to count the cost. It may seem impossible to count the cost, but it's not with Christ. It becomes possible through him. He says, all things are possible with God. Verse 28, Peter began to say to him, he said, see, we have left everything and followed you. And Jesus says this, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel. Here's the good part. Who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time. Houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last first. In Philippians 3.8, if we go back to what Paul says, he says, I have suffered the loss of all things, but I have gained Christ. Psalm chapter 20 And verse 4 says, May He grant you your heart's desire and fulfill your plans. Ephesians 1, 3 says, Blessed are, are we in God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Jesus is not all about cost. He is about granting you gain. But you've got to go through the cost first. 
He says, nobody who gives up all these things as his disciples are astonished by what is taking place. He says, I promise you guys, I know that seems difficult. I know it seems harsh. I know it seems impossible. I know you guys have left everything to follow me. Here's my promise to you. No one who has forsaken all these things will not also be rewarded a hundredfold more to come. And not even just the blessings that you receive in this life when it comes to gaining Christ. But he says, you've got eternal life waiting for you and eternity in heaven, and eternity in glory. He says, you, you've got to give up all these things. Count the cost, but I will grant the gain. See, over the years, I've learned there's nothing that he won't remove, that he won't replace with something better. So you may lose self-driven desires. You may lose self-plans. You may lose personal goals. You may have to give up personal dreams, but here's, here's the caveat. He'll replace them with godly desires. He'll replace them with godly purposes. He'll replace them with godly plans. He'll replace them with godly visions. You may lose worldly comforts. You may lose preferences. You may lose some relationships along the way. But get this, he'll replace them with his comfort and his presence and godly community. Jesus says to his disciples, they're still upset over the rich young ruler. And did you catch what he says? He says, he says, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, relationships, or lands for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not now in this time receive a hundredfold houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and lands. When you lose worldly relationships, God floods your life with godly ones. Those of you who have been born again into the new hope who is found in Christ, look around in this room. Look how much bigger your family got. A hundredfold. Now and in this time, and on top of that, eternity. You may have to leave what has always been your home. Do you know what he told his disciples before he left? He said, I'm going to my father's house. And in that place are many rooms. And when I leave, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare that place, I will surely come again. Take you with me into that place. See, the gain comes through the loss. Paul says, I have suffered the loss of all things. But when I did, I gained Christ. You'll lose some things, men and women. Consumption is costly. You'll lose some things, but you'll gain everything. Consumption is costly but it's worth the price. My second confession is that consumption attracts counteraction. And what I mean by that is this, whatever action Christ takes in you and you take in Christ, our enemy will always seek to counter it. And how do I know that? Well, because he's always been counter of who God is and what God does. So if God shows himself as being good, the enemy counters his goodness with evil. When God is glorified, the enemy attempts to defame. When God reveals truth, he speaks lies and deception. See, he's always countering. He's always counteracting whatever God does. He's always going to be the opposite of, of who he is and what he does. And he, he's done this since the beginning. You can go all the way back to the garden when he tempted Adam and Eve. 
And God gave them one command, don't touch this tree. That's it. But here comes our adversary into the garden. And then he pitches it to him this way, did God really say? And I'll tell you why he said that, is because he doesn't want you to become like him. And so God says, I know what's best. The enemy comes in and says, you know what's best. Everything that God does, he is counter. He is opposite. And so when he sees you catching fire for God, he counteracts by attempting to extinguish the flame. The moment that you catch fire for God, the devil becomes a fireman. Every single time. And here's the reason why. Because he knows the damage that can be done to his kingdom if that fire that's in you begins to spread. And so he will frantically do whatever he can to extinguish the flame and the fire that you have for God. The passion that you have for his gospel. The passion that you have for evangelizing your friends, your family, your roommates, your classmates, your teammates, the moment that he sees that fire catching within you, he will do whatever he can to extinguish it because he knows if that fire gets out of you, it will begin to spread amongst others, completely and utterly decimating the kingdom he's trying to build. And so I'm telling you, be prepared for him to do all that he can to quench your flame. He may use family. He might use friends. He might use situations and circumstances of your life. He may even attack your health physically or mentally. He'll go after your spouse one day. He'll go after your kids one day. Whatever means he can find to put out the fire of God that you have within you is exactly what he will use. He's not a, he doesn't fight fair. The devil's dirty. He's a backstabber. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. He always has been and he always will be. And he will do whatever he can to extinguish the flame that you have for God inside of you. Now, I'm not saying all this to scare you or to make you think that we should live intimidated by him. 1 John 4, 4, for he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. 1 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Timothy 1, 7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So I'm not telling you this stuff about our adversaries so that you will cower in fear or intimidation of him, but so that you can be aware of the very real reality that he will come against you. You know, I think one of the saddest things that could ever be said of our life as a believer is that we never had an ember the enemy saw worth extinguishing. To go the entirety of our lives knowing about the goodness of who God is, knowing about how he has personally and radically transformed our lives, how he has made us into a new creation, how he has restored our broken souls, how he has redeemed our impure hearts, and how he has set us apart for his glory to live a life of purity and holiness and righteousness here on this earth and then one day be united with him, with his church, for all of eternity in heaven to sing his praises. I think one of the saddest things is for us to have all of that within us and yet never burn hot enough for the devil to consider extinguishing the fire that we have. 
I don't know about y'all, but I want my life to burn so hot and bright for Jesus that the devil gets scorched attempting to put me out. It's funny, I want to show you something that I think maybe a lot of people have never noticed before. Everybody associates the devil with fire, right? It's like if somebody says devil, one of the first things you probably think of is fire. It is for me. Everybody always associates the devil with fire. But you know that in the Word of God, the devil is never associated with being fire or having fire. The only time we see the devil associated with fire is the place that he's going to spend his eternity in. Listen to me. God's got the fire. God has the fire. Our God is a consuming fire. The only time the devil is associated with fire is when he's going to spend eternity in the lake of it because of who he is and what he's done and how he has rebelled and tried to defame, defame and dethrone the glory of God and who he is. That's where he's going. You know, the devil actually hates the heat. That's why he'll do whatever he can to try and put yours out. So never forget the reality that our God is a consuming fire. And the devil can't take the heat. And that's why anytime he sees it rising up within you, he will do whatever he can to put you out. He'll come at us. I promise you, church, listen. He will come at us when we get to blazing around here. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16, 18. This is why I love the Word of God. Because for every scheme, there's a scripture. Can I say it one more time? For every scheme of the devil, there's a scripture of God. So when we get to blazing around here, you better believe he'll come after us. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 16. I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So he can try as he might, but he cannot. Christ says he will not put out the fire of my church. But you do need to know that counteraction will come when you become consumed with Christ. Here's my third confession. Consumption requires stoking. So any fire, once it starts burning, will need to be stoked if it's to remain burning. You know what it means to stoke a fire? You know, there's always, it's funny because any fire that you're a part of, there's always somebody who self-designates themselves as the fire stoker. It's the guy that always picks up the stick, you know, and is constantly like poking and prodding and picking at the fire. That's what stoking a fire looks like. It's poking, it's, it's prodding, it's provoking, it's stirring. But it's also feeding. It's also adding fuel to the fire. Most of the time, the self-designated stoker is the self-designated throw-the-stick-on-the-fire guy as well. Or plastic cup or whatever he finds laying around that he looks at and he's like, y'all think we could burn that? That's that guy. That's what stoking the fire is. It's just throwing anything and everything that you can on there to keep the blaze going. So yes, our focus has been God light a fire in us. But once that happens, the flame will need to be stoked. It needs to be stirred. It needs to be encouraged if it's going to continue. And so what we have to do is we have to add fuel. We have to feed the flame. Hebrews chapter 10 Verse 24 says this, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This passage, it paints the picture of us doing just that for one another. Stirring the fire in my brother. Stirring the fire 
and my sister. So listen to me, guys. Like It's so important, and I wish we could so grasp this within the church of God, that when we see the fire of God working in a brother or sister's life, that we would do everything that we can to fuel it, not flush it. To encourage that. To, to add to the flame that's going on in their life. To stoke the fire that God has breathed up and fanned up within them. How many of you know life is daggum difficult much of the time? It's just, it's hard. It's di- Can I give you an encouragement though? When you get out of college, it gets harder. Sorry. <laughs> Living for Jesus in this world is difficult much of the time. We get busy. How many of y'all are busy? Of course you are. We're all busy. We have responsibilities. We battle stresses. We have worries. We deal with anxieties. And as busy as we are, do we not also battle laziness? and complacency. We deal with discouragement. How many of you get discouraged from time to time? Oh my goodness, like discouragement abounds. And, and you know what happens? You know what happens is that, is that every fire, when it's lit, from that moment has the potential to eventually burn out. So many times I've seen individuals, so many times I've seen groups of people, and maybe you can relate to this, maybe not, who have caught fire for Christ, and they were about it. They were growing, they were participating, they were sharing, they were serving, and then a few months later, it's gone. That fire that they had has completely gone cold and went out. Burnout. If you're going to become consumed, you're going to have to stoke that fire. That's why this fire, it has to be tended to. It's going to need refueling. So listen to me. When the fire of God begins to burn in your life, and I'm praying and hoping and asking and pleading with God that it would begin to do so in each of our individual lives, you've got to feed it with His Word daily. You've got to feed it with worship daily. Listen, I know y'all like to listen to all kinds of music, but you need to be very, very careful about what you are feeding the flame of your soul with. The kind of music that you listen to can just as easily extinguish the flame of God that you have as much so as anything else. Worship, not just in this place. Surround yourself with it at your home, in your car, at the gym. Listen, I know, hey, I like to work out, and, and trust me, I've got an inclination. I've got a rock side to me, 100%. But don't tell me, guys, that we can't pop the earbuds in and listen to some I believe in the Father, I believe in the Son, I believe in the Spirit, and not throw some weight around with that too. 
Feed your fire with worship. Feed it with prayer. Feed it with godly community. Hebrews 10, 25, the next verse down from where we stopped a second ago, says, it says in verse 24, let us consider how to stir up one another with good works. Verse 25 says, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Listen, the closer it comes to Christ getting back, the harder it's going to be for you to keep your flame going. Why? Because the more the enemy is going to ratch up his efforts to put out the flame of the church. That's why we have to be here. That's why you've got to be here week in and week out to be around your brothers and sisters in Christ so we can stir one another up, so we can stoke each other's fire, so we can encourage one another all the more as we see the day drawing near. The more we get closer with each day to Christ coming back, the more on fire we should become as His return gets nearer and nearer and nearer. We, uh, when I was in college at UNA, I had to take an outdoor ed class. And part of that class was you had to go on a camping trip. So I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. I'm an outdoorsy kind of person. I don't mind going and camping from time to time, even if it's with people I've never met before. So we go on this camping trip, and I actually had a couple of buddies of mine that were in the class with me. So we signed up for the same date, the same trip, the same location, and we went. And so, you know, one of the first things that you do when you go on a camping trip is what? You get the fire going. You know, we got, our, we got our tent set up, we got our sleeping bags rolled out and put down. We got our snacks all divided up, you know, making sure that somebody wasn't eating mine and that I knew where theirs were so I could eat theirs. And so we get all that taken care of and then what do we do? Well, we start trying to get the fire going. And so we get a nice little fire going and we've got a good little blaze going on and it was supposed to get kind of cool that night. So it's like early spring. You know, I think it was forecast to get into like the mid-40s that night. So it was going to be kind of chilly. We needed the warmth of the fire. Well, no sooner than we did that, like the sky starts turning black. And I kid you not, the tornado sirens start going off. And now the thing that makes this more interesting is that we had gone to Gunnersville Lake to do this camping trip and had decided that we would jump into some canoes and paddle out into this island on the lake to camp. And so this storm is blowing in, the tornado sirens are going off, and then like sheets of rain just start coming across the lake headed right for us. And so we scramble to get all of our stuff tied down to try and keep all of our stuff from getting soaking wet. And in the midst of all that, we happen to look out there and we've left the fire unattended. And so all this rain, all this water is pouring into our fire. At the same time, we know it's probably going to get chilly tonight. Everything's fixing to be soaking wet. If we lose this fire, we will never get it back again. And then we're really going to be in some trouble. I say we would have been in trouble. I would have got back in the canoe and left. <laughs> but we would have been in some serious trouble for real. And so in the midst of that, we, we had a tarp with us. And so me and one of my buddies, we got in between two trees. And we wrapped the tarp around either side of the tree, and we held it up like this with our backs to the rain to try and shield the fire so that it wouldn't go out. And by some miracle of God, we kept it going. In the same sense, if we notice our fire for Christ beginning to dwindle, you've got to take action to keep it going. Whatever it takes to defend the flame that Christ has placed Within you, I want each of us to be lit up for Jesus. But listen, it takes some effort to keep things burning. It's fine in the middle of it. When you've got the blaze going, 
when everything is progressing as it should, when God is speaking into your life in new and fresh ways day in and day out, when you're seeing answered prayers time and time again on a weekly basis, it seems, when everything seems to be going in your favor, when the blessings of heaven are flowing down, it's easy for that flame to burn and burn and burn and burn and burn. But when those things aren't as evident and when those things aren't as prevalent, the work has to be stepped up that much more fervently to keep that fan flaming. Because listen to me, guys, the flame of the church can't afford to go out. Because if it does, there's no hope for this world. Why? Because Christ has left us here as the one means to share His gospel. And if our flame gets extinguished, that's it. Consumption requires stoking. It's going to take some effort, but it's worth the effort to keep that fire going in your life. One last confession. Consumption brings satisfaction. And I, I love ending on this one. We talked about this a little bit a few weeks back as well, but how many of you know that there's something oddly satisfying about watching a fire? You know, it's kind of like you fall into that trance once you see it. And there's just something strangely satisfying about watching flames flicker off of a fire. You know, actually, they've done studies on people's brains as they've watched fires. And it's actually been found that as you watch a fire burn, it lowers your blood pressure. So watching a, a flame burn has a relaxing, it has a satisfying effect to it. And they also found that it, it, encur it encourages positive social interaction. How many of you have ever, I wonder, how many of you have ever gotten involved in just like a very, very deep conversation around a fire? We used to do some things, churches kind of had this thing, and we do a very variation of this here with our youth, but they might call them, you know, fireside chats. Because there's just something about when you get around a fire that people just begin to talk. They begin to talk about the deep stuff in their life. And so it's shown that it has this positive social interaction effect. Satisfying to us. Listen, when Jesus consumes your life, there's nothing more satisfying. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing His love. There's nothing more satisfying than knowing and experiencing His grace and His forgiveness. There's nothing more satisfying than waking up each day to find His word is true and that there's mercies there every time the sun comes up. There's nothing more satisfying in knowing that what you do underneath His banner, what you do underneath His name, has eternal purpose and significance behind it. That it's not temporal, that it won't just quickly fade away, 
It won't be eaten up by moth and rust or destroyed by time. There's something satisfying about when Jesus consumes your life. A satisfaction that can't be found in this world. Satisfaction that can't be given to you by fleeting fleshly pleasures. Satisfaction, men and women, honestly, that can't be found in the bars. It can't be found in sexual promiscuity. can't be found in the most illustrious career. It can't be found in masses of possessions. There was a king who lived in biblical times. His name was Solomon. Solomon wrote a book called Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to read it sometime because Solomon set out on a mission to try and find out if there was anything underneath the sun, as he described it, that could bring his life pleasure, fulfillment, and satisfaction. He tried the partying. He tried women. He tried possessions. He built parks. The Bible tells us he even built a zoo for himself. He sought wisdom through academics. He amassed as much money that I suppose as anyone has ever gathered underneath their name. He tried filling his life with work, the satisfaction of building with his hands. And at the end of Ecclesiastes, at the end of the book, the very last thing he says, he says, all things considered, This is the purpose of life, to fear God, to keep his commands. And you know what he said about all the things? He said all the wealth, all the possessions, he said it was vanity, the chasing after the sun. All the things he built with his hands, all the pleasures he allowed himself was vanity. All the women, all the relationships, all the partying, the gambling, the boozing, it's all vanity. He says, there's nothing under the sun that I didn't try. And at the end of the day, the only thing that brought me fulfillment and satisfaction was my God. It's not out there for you, men and women. Don't let the devil sell you a bill of goods. Don't let him keep you lost in lies and deception any longer. If you need Jesus tonight, you can find no one more satisfying. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for his glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life.